0: It's a beautiful psalm, Psalm 130, isn't it? Martin Luther was once asked uh, what, which of the psalms was his favorite. Um, some of his students asked him, and he said, my favorite psalms are the psalms which are Pauline psalms. And the students are bewildered. Uh, don't you know there are no psalms in the Bible that have been written by the Apostle Paul? Uh, but what Martin Luther meant was that there are some psalms in the Bible, which take us, he said, which take us to the very depths of what it means to acknowledge our sin uh, before God. They help us to confess our guilt, they direct our whole trust to the forgiving grace of God. Uh, psalm 130 is one such psalm. Psalm 130 was probably Martin Luther's favorite psalm. He wrote a hymn based on it, and uh, this psalm was also sung at his funeral. Um Psalm 130 has been used by God uh, extensively in the lives of his saints through uh, the church history. John Owen, I don't know whether you know, it's a great Puritan uh, minister, wrote a 430 page exposition on Psalm 130. <laughs> uh, in the preface, he talks about why he did that. He says when he was young and he, uh, he, uh, he was a preacher and he got sick. And he was almost at the uh, at almost at the edge of dying. So he didn't know whether he would live. And he had no assurance of the forgiveness of sin. And that's when God used Psalm 134. There is forgiveness with you that you may be feared very mightily in his life. Uh, and when he got well, he wanted to explain this psalm to people. And as a result, wrote that book. Uh, so Psalm 130... Uh, is a psalm that starts at the depths, you know. It starts saying, out of the depths. And by the end of it, you are at the heights. Uh, so that's, that's what I want to do in this sermon. The purpose of the sermon is to explain how sinners can be right with God. I'm calling the sermon, The Forgiveness of Sin. And uh, what we'll do is, uh, the structure of the sermon, uh, verse 1 and 2, if you take a look, uh, they talk about crying to God. And then uh, when the psalmist is at the depths, he starts seeing God and he starts seeing the character of God, the holiness of God and the forgiveness that it's there uh, with God. So the second point is seeing our God. And once he sees that there is forgiveness with God, he waits for God to bring him the forgiveness uh, personally in his life. And that is verses five and six. And finally, he experiences the suffering and therefore rejoices in God. Um, if you like uh, uh, mnemonics, so if you want to remember this sermon, here's something, Christ saves without reserve. Oh, that's the best I could come up with. <sighs> so, firstly, crying to God. Out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord, the psalmist says. Um, The psalmist is finding himself in the depths, and we don't know the particulars of what is going on in his life. Um, Like many other psalms, there are no references to any particular event here. But we know that it is a result of sin. You can look uh, at uh, verse 3, and he talks about God keeping a record of sins. And verse 4, it talks about forgiveness. And then again in verse 7, he talks about redemption. And in verse 8, he talks about God uh, forgiving his people's sins. So what is uppermost in the psalmist's mind as he writes this psalm is sin. Uh, now sin is a very unfashionable term in the 21st century. And sometimes we Christians also really don't think about sin. Uh, so let's just ask ourselves the question, what is sin? Um, John Piper, uh, summarizing the teaching of Romans 1-3 to uh, writes this. He says, sinning Oh, thank you. Uh, He says sinning is any feeling or thought or speech or action that comes from a heart that does not treasure God over all other things. At the bottom of sin, the root of all sinning is such a heart, a heart that prefers anything above God and a heart that does not treasure God over all other persons and all other things. So sin is not primarily a matter of, some commands that we do not obey or we obey. Uh, Sin is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of what you prefer most. What is your treasure? What do you uh, enjoy? And sin is something that Christians also do. Uh, So uh, we are asked in the Bible again and again to fight sin, to put to death the sin that is there in our bodies. And sometimes... Uh, in God's providence, when we sin, God takes us into the very depths where we really feel awful about our sin and we are not really able to uh, enjoy the salvation that we have. Now, Take a look at uh, Psalm 88, 14 to 17. The psalmist is talking about the depths of what is going on here. And he says, why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and have been close to death. I have borne your terrors and I'm in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. Just think of this. There are depths in which you feel the anger of God in your life. You know? And they're really deep because... There are depths which are outward depths, which come due to circumstances in our life. So God in his providence takes us through illnesses, loss of loved ones, um, losing a job, uh, persecution. And you can have depths because of that. You can, have, you can go into a kind of low because of that. But even in that, in that place, you have a sense of the love of God with you. But these are internal depths. These are depths where you have sinned and you're feeling that God is angry with you. So these these are much more uh, difficult to bear. What do these depths look like? So we'll just spend a bit of time looking at that. And the reason why I'm why we are doing that is because I want us to. When we are going through depths, let us remember that it's not a unique situation to us. All Christians go through it, so we can talk about it, share it with our friends, with our life group, probably. Uh, and if you are not going through depths right now, you can remember when you went through depths and God saved you out of it. Um, so the first thing, what happens uh, when, when in the depths is that we lose a sense of God's love in our lives. Now all Christians uh, have this sense of love and the sense of love is so strong that, I missed a verse here, okay, uh, so the, that James says, James says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. How can you face trials of various kinds and still consider it all joy? Because you know that you're in the care of God, that God loves you and He is taking care of you. And that's what Habakkuk expresses here. He says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stalls, In short, everything goes wrong in life. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. And in account of sin, believers can lose this confidence in God. Uh, The very thought of God can bring us pain and misery. Look at what the psalmist says in Psalm 77.3. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. Why would the memory of God, why would the thought of God actually bring pain and misery to us? Because we have sinned. Because our soul is telling ourselves, were you not saved from sin? Wasn't God's word a sweet delight to you? Wasn't it sweeter than honey to you? Wasn't the Holy Spirit the strong stay of your soul? And what have you repaid God with? You have went and grieved the Holy Spirit. You have offended God. You have despised Jesus. What have you done? Why have you done it? So foolish, so knowingly, for so fleeting a pleasure, you have neglected God and despised and cast off his presence. And now he's angry with you. I'm so ashamed that I can't even go to God for forgiveness. Have you felt these kinds of debts? and to add to all this probably you, we could feel oh um there are judge- the judgment of god is on our lives there are things that come in the daily course of life uh, life uh, uh, daily course of life there are things that come into uh, to us things like small accidents inconveniences and you may think oh is god judging me for all for what i did you know and uh, Probably your depths are deeper still. Maybe you're not sure whether you're saved at all. You're thinking, after all the experience of God that I had, probably I'm not saved. Probably I'm going to perish. Uh, and in the final day, on the judgment day, I'll find that I had never trusted Jesus at all. And to add to all this, you may have, there may be a complete inability to pray and find joy in God's word. John Owen puts it this way. He says, the soul, the soul in the depths cannot pray with life and power. It cannot hear with joy and profit. It cannot do good and communicate with cheerfulness and freedom. It cannot meditate with delight and heavenly mindedness. Cannot act for God with zeal and liberty. Cannot think of suffering with boldness and resolution, but is sick, weak, feeble, and bowed down. Are you there? Are you there in the depths? What I want to encourage you is you are not alone. This has been the experience of many Christian saints through history. The mark of a gracious soul is not that it doesn't fall into the depths, but that when it falls into the depths, it cries out to God and says, Lord, save me. So if you are in the depths, if you feel like drowning, If you feel like there is nothing but darkness around you, cry out. Cry out to God and say, Lord, hear. Lord, save me. If you're not a Christian and you're feeling these depths, you feel that you're drowning in sin, if you feel that there is nothing that you can do about your sin, cry out to God. A drowning man doesn't need encouragement to cry out to God. Right? Cry out for help. So if you're drowning, cry out, cry out to God. Use the psalmist's words. Out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. And when you do that, and when you turn your eyes to God, you will see the character of God. So our next point, seeing our God. And, you know, my children have never seen a starry sky. All they have seen is stars from Manchester. So if they see a dozen stars, they say, oh, that's a lot of stars. (laughs) And sometimes, we believers are like that. Uh, We see the glory of God, we see a glimpse of God here, a glimpse of God there, and we say, oh, that's all there is to the glory of God. And sometimes it takes depths and darkness for us to really appreciate who God is. That's exactly what the psalmist is experiencing. He's lifting his eyes up from the depths and he sees God's holiness. What does he say? He says, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? The answer to that is nobody, right? If God kept a record of our sins, who could stand before him? None of us. But the truth is, God does keep a record of sins. There is no one sin that we ever commit that escapes the all-knowing eye of God. Look at what it says in Matthew 12, 36. I tell you, Jesus says, I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. And then again in Hebrews 4, 13, it says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And in Revelation 20:21 20, it says, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. So there is a record in heaven of every deed that we do, every sin that we do. And because of our sin, None of us can stand before God. Remember uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Uh, Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. He was perfect as God was perfect. In fact, Jesus was God. And yet, Jesus, thinking about God accounting our sins on him, cries desperately. He says, my Father, if it is possible... May this cup be taken away from him. Jesus' soul, it says, was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And then on that cross, God's wrath broke down on Jesus. And Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he died. Of course, with the psalmist, we cry, Lord, who could stand if the Son of God himself could not stand against because of sin? How, how would we stand before God uh, if he keeps a record of sins? And he does. So God keeps a record of sin and no one can stand before him. But that's not the end of who God is. Colossians 2:13 and 14, and this is amazing. It says, God made a life together with him. God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Yes, there was a record of sin against us. Yes, none of us would stand if God counted, accounted that record against us. This is what John Piper says. He says, God took the record of all our sins uh, and he, God has a record of all our sins that makes us a debtor to wrath. And instead of holding that record against us and saying, you guilty sinner, go to hell, what he does is he takes that record and he puts it on the hand of his son and on the cross puts a nail to it. And that's your record. All the record of sin, nailed to the cross when Jesus died. And that's what the psalmist is seeing, right? And the psalmist is more than the psalmist we can see it so clearly we can see that all the record of our sin which God has maintained is nailed to the cross of Jesus and therefore the psalmist says if you O Lord kept a record of sins Lord who could stand but with you there is forgiveness there is forgiveness with God for every sin that you have done have you murdered somebody there is forgiveness with God have you uh, despised God, rejected Jesus? There is forgiveness with God. Have you uh, stolen some money? There is forgiveness with God. Have you been unfaithful to your wife? There is forgiveness. Have you been angry with your children? There is forgiveness. Whatever sin, however vile the sin is, there is forgiveness with God. And the reason is not because God doesn't see it, but because the record of your sin has been paid for when Jesus died on the cross. So are you in the depths of despair? Is your sin always before you? Are your eyes not able to see anything beyond your sin? Do you think you have fallen deeper than where God can lift you up from? Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, you do not know half of the debt that you owe to God. But God knows it all and he has paid all of it on the cross of Jesus. And God invites you to put your trust in him. Your sin is paid for, your debt is canceled, your salvation has been won. Come and receive it. And then we can sing with Micah, who is, like a, who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression? of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And this forgiveness, the psalmist says, is a ground for serving God. See what he says. He says, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. There is only one ground on which you can stand and serve God, and that is obtaining the forgiveness of God. Uh, It is the only solid ground for our service and for our sanctification. Oswald Chambers puts it this way. He says, compared with the miracle of the forgiveness of sin, the experience of sanctification that is becoming holy, is small. Sanctification is simply the wonderful expression or evidence of the forgiveness of sins in a human life. But the thing that awakens the deepest fountain of gratitude in a human being is that God has forgiven his sin. Paul never got away from this. Once you realize all that it cost God to forgive you, you will be held as in a vice constrained by the love of God. The secret to serving God in love and reverence is experiencing God's forgiveness, making this experience our own. And to this, the psalmist turns to now. And we turn to the next uh, point, which is waiting for God. Think of a merchant, okay? Uh, This merchant is a very rich man, but all his riches are in a foreign country, And what he wants to do is, he wants to bring all the riches back home. And we are talking about, let's say, the 17th century, so you can't wire your riches to UK, so you have to bring it by ship. Okay, so what is the merchant's mind preoccupied with? It is preoccupied with, firstly, whether his riches are safe in the foreign country. Okay, so he keeps looking for news, and he says, "Um, is, is, is my riches safe? Um, he, if he receives news that yes, he's quite happy. He, he has not yet received the riches, but just the news of the safety of the riches makes his soul glad. And that's where the psalmist is right now. He's got a vision of God's character. He knows that even though God is holy and even though he's a great sinner, there is forgiveness with God. But he has not yet experienced the forgiveness. He wants a sense of forgiveness. He wants the sense of the love of God. He wants God's presence to be in his life. Uh, but it's not his yet. And, but at the same time, when he hears of the gospel, when he hears of this forgiveness with God, he's happy. He's happy to have these promises. And he's happy to see forgiveness preached and the promises of God uh, reiterated to him. Now what does this merchant do? Is he satisfied by just hearing that his uh, riches are safe in a foreign land? No, he wants to bring them home. If if the riches don't come, he's left with nothing. And if they come, he's a very well-to-do man. So what does he do? He doesn't rest in the news of the safety of his riches, but he thinks about how to bring these riches home. Okay, he thinks of the wind, the weather, the delays, the dangers, the problems in doing that. And rightly so, we are not going to say, oh, you're excessively interested in your riches. It says everything, it says all. And that's exactly what the psalmist is doing. He has heard of the forgiveness with God, but he's waiting for the benefits to be applied to him. He is not yet yet feeling forgiveness. He doesn't have a sense of forgiveness of God. And what he says is, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. The psalmist expresses his soul's posture. I have seen the holiness of God. I know that I am a sinner. There is wonderful forgiveness with God. God forgives, but I cannot feel it. Do you feel that sometimes? Uh, I don't have any sense of the love of God. My relationship with God is not restored. There is no joy in my soul. So what do you do? I, what the psalmist says, I wait for God. I wait for the effect of that forgiveness that is promised to be applied to my life. Now waiting is a difficult concept, right? What do you mean by waiting? What do you, I mean, what do you do when you're waiting? So let's, we'll just think about that, but first let me talk about the purpose of waiting, and then we'll take a few examples and try to understand what this waiting involves. So the purpose of waiting is that the truths, is that the truths that have been understood by our mind is translated into experiential reality. In other words, the head knowledge that we have, we want it to be translated into heart knowledge, and that's what the psalmist is waiting for. Okay, how does that happen? What does waiting look like? The summary answer to that is, we pray the truths into our life. So we know the truth of God, and we pray those things into our life. How? Some examples. So let's take the example of the first truth that the psalmist saw when he looked at God. You know, it says in verse three, if you, Lord, should keep a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? Now many times, we don't feel the weight of sin you know the psalmist is really you can just see it in the language he's trembling before God with a sense of guilt he says Lord if you keep a record of my sins who could stand but sometimes we are we we are not there it's a doctrinal matter if somebody asks you oh if God if God had a record of your sins would you stand you would say no in no way but you really don't feel it right so how do you wait on the Lord so that this head knowledge gets translated? You know, the problem with us is that we feel, usually, feel more bad about the consequences of sin than sin itself. You know, we are more worried about the disquiet, the discomfort, the pain, the misery, the guilt that comes with sin rather than uh, about God and how we have scorned him. And when we are actually saying, when, we are, when, our, when our head is saying, if you, Lord, should keep a record of sin, Lord, who could stand? What our heart is really saying is, I wish somehow I get out of this deep, dark place that I have ended up in. I just want to be happy again. You know, I don't want to feel the burden of my sin. But probably the deep despair that God takes us through is God's opportunity to us to understand our sinfulness. And if we understand the deep sinfulness we'll be able to experience the heights of God's forgiveness in Jesus. So, how do we wait for God? Uh, Instead of waiting for God, usually what we would like to do is we would like to drown our sorrow and despair. And how do we do that? In distractions. You get distracted with work, relationships, alcohol, movies, books, hobbies, church activity. Name it. There are so many ways. We we don't want to wait on God till the knowledge of our sinfulness actually translates into our heart. So waiting, how do we do that? How do we make our sinfulness real to our hearts? How do we really tremble before God's holiness? Now, first of all, repentance and godly sorrow are God's gifts. In one sense, we we can do nothing except ask him. But as we do that, What we can do is use the word of God to impress our own sinfulness and God's holiness onto our hearts. That's what it means by putting our hope in the... uh, And in his word, I put my hope, the psalmist says. That's what it means when he says that. What we do is we take our sin, any sin that you can see, examine it. Examine it in the light of God's word. Examine where it arises from. Examine its roots. Look at God. Look at God's holiness Look at God's love, look at God's salvation and provision to escape sin and think about how you have despised all the provision that God has given you and fallen into sin. So while you do that and you cry out to God and say, Lord, open my eyes to see the wildness of sin. And you, you may ask, that, that sounds very tedious. Yes, it is tedious. It's tedious like the waiting that the watchmen do as they wait for the morning. It is difficult. And that's why these are called depths. Till when do I wait? Two things. You wait till your soul is broken. And you are more conscious of your sin than the effects of the sin in your life. Secondly, you wait till you weep and freely acknowledge your sin. Take a look at what David says. When he experiences the depths of his sins, he says, For I know my transgression, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. When we reach this state, that's when the truth has really impressed upon our hearts. Isn't that what James commands when he says, In James 4, 8 to 10, Come near to God and he will come near to you, he says. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, moan, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. So what does waiting on God mean? Waiting on God means examining our lives in the light of God's word. Let's take another example. The second truth that David uh, talked about, he said, uh, there is forgiveness with you. Now, how do you really experience the forgiveness? Let's say you're not experiencing forgiveness. How do you wait in God so that, that that forgiveness becomes real in your life? Again, put our hope in the Word of God. Remember the promises that God has made. You know, promises like Psalm 103. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Or 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Waiting for God means putting our hope in God and his promises. We want to trust God. How? By faith. But how to get faith? Remember what Romans 10:17 says? Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So what do we do? We hear the word of God. How do we hear the word of God? We read it, we memorize it, we meditate it, we pray it. We talk about it. We sing it. We ask other people to speak the word of God into our lives. We concentrate ourselves in hearing the word of Christ till God gives us faith, a personal assurance of forgiveness, a restoration of the joy that you lost when you sinned. This is called more than watchman for the... uh, This is the waiting that the psalmist is doing when he says... I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. How do watchmen wait for the morning? Think about it. Think about the ancient world. The watchman is sitting on the city wall and he's waiting. Is it a lazing around, take it easy kind of a waiting? No, it's not, right? It's an active, there can be danger anytime. An enemy can attack me anytime kind of waiting. It's active waiting and watching. And this is what God is calling us to as he's asking us to wait. Pray, meditate, put your hope in God's word. But also remember, when the psalmist says, when, when the watchman waits for the morning, the morning is certain to come. Okay? There has never been a night which has not been followed by a morning. And the watchman knows it. It's inevitable. And so wait for God with certainty that he will come. Isaiah 40, 31 says, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. And lastly, remember that when the watchman waits for the morning, he's not waiting for the morning because he is causing the morning to happen. You see? Similarly, we don't wait on the Lord. We are not putting our hope in God's word because we are causing God to forgive us. The watchman waits for the morning because he wants the benefits that the morning is bringing to him. And similarly, we are waiting for God's salvation because we want to share in the forgiveness, in the joy that God gives us. And as we do that waiting, God will help us rejoice in him. He will give us the assurance of forgiveness. As surely as the morning follows the night, Every depth that a Christian has, if you wait for the Lord, will be followed by the sense of forgiveness that the psalmist is experiencing, and it will overflow. And you would shout out with the psalmist, Israel, others, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. So in conclusion, saints of God who are in depths of soul despair because of sin. Are you feeling the darkness around you? Is your sin before you? Are you not able to come to God? Cry out to God. Just groan and say, Lord, help me. Try to see who he is. See that he holds a record of your every sin but that your record has been nailed to the cross and that there is forgiveness with him. Wait for God. Impress the promises of God by prayer and using the word of God onto your heart and he will come surely to you so that you would be able to rejoice in God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the psalmist who underwent these steps and is able to help us through these depths to enjoy the greatness of the salvation that you have for us. Lord, As we wait, Lord, would you help us to wait for you, to, wait, to put your hope in your word and to remember that you are a forgiving God and that your character is to forgive people and that on the cross all our sins have been paid for. And therefore, Lord, Would you bring this sense of forgiveness, this closeness to God? Lord, help us. Help us out of the depths that we sometimes find ourselves in. We thank you for your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.